This is my favorite week of the year. I, I just feel an obligation to explain to you why I'm a little extra joyful, a little extra giddy, a little extra thankful this morning so you'll know where that extra enthusiasm comes from. I, I just love the week of Thanksgiving, yes, because of the gratitude, but if I'm honest, because of the food, you know, and I, I love it, and I, I love this time of year. I have so many, like many of us, I'm sure, have so many great memories. Uh, I was thinking my, the one negative memory that I have of Thanksgiving is the fact that for years, my, my mother would make uh, baked sweet potatoes, baked sweet potatoes, and she would try to force me to eat baked sweet potatoes. And I remember the very last Thanksgiving that I ate a baked sweet potato. She gave me some of it, and she promised me, Wes, if you eat this, you never have to eat another sweet potato ever again. And I, I stomached it. Somehow I ate that baked sweet potato not knowing Growing up in a household that I didn't know, I had been, I hate to say deceived, that's not true, you know, but I had just been kept from the truth that that's not how God intended for sweet potatoes to be eaten, you know? And thankfully, I married into Holly's family, and they taught me that you can have sweet potatoes in a casserole dish and brown sugar and marshmallows and nuts on top, and then I learned that sweet potatoes can be great. I, I hope that I hope that you all have a wonderful week this week. I hope that you enjoy your time and your week and your fellowship and your Thanksgiving. And, and I think that it's even more important this year than other years, don't you? I think when it's been an especially difficult year, it's even more important to spend time reflecting on all of the things for which we're thankful. And as we've been said, as we've gone through this series, 30 Days of Thanks, that the world needs to hear the church give thanks. The world needs to hear the church give thanks, not just for the things that can be seen and tasted, but the things that are unseen. The world needs to hear the church give thanks for what we have in Jesus. Amen? The world needs to see and the world needs to hear a thankful church and that's why this series is so incredibly important and I encourage you over the next 10 days or so that we have left just to continue reflecting on things for which you're thankful things for which you can tell the world that in spite of anything else that may be going on these things are true and these things are things for which we are thankful so with that in mind let's look at Psalm 100 Psalm 100 and the psalmist says make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. You know, last week, we talked about how the, that psalm was an invitation. How there are several imperatives. Like these are things that we are invited to do. You might even say commanded to do. These are imperatives. And this psalm has seven imperatives. Seven things that you and I are invited to do. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And like we said last week, that idea of make a joyful noise is a joyful shout. A triumphant shout. An exuberant shout to the Lord. But I want you to notice that this psalm is addressed to an interesting group. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, whom? All the earth. All the earth. 
This invitation, these commands to make a joyful noise and even to come into the presence of the Lord with singing is an invitation to all the earth, not just to Israel, not just to the Jews, but to all the earth. The, the narrative of Scripture, the trajectory of Scripture was always, even back here, even in the time of the Old Testament, even throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the trajectory of the story was always towards the inclusion of every ethnic group that God someday, through the work and the reign of the Messiah, was going to gather all of the people groups of the world into one unified Family. So this psalm looks forward to that day, that day when the Messiah reigns, that day when the whole earth, when all of the peoples, not just the Israelites, would be invited to come together in one multi-ethnic family. Come together and make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. And I want us to think about that phrase, serve the Lord with gladness. This word serve here, like we can use the word serve in a lot of different ways. Like maybe somebody serves you your lunch or serves you your dinner. Or maybe if you do something nice for your neighbor, you might call that service and you did an act of service. But this word here, it implies ownership. It, it implies belonging to. When you serve the Lord, it's the way a, a slave serves a master, the way a soldier serves a commanding officer, the way a worshiper belongs to his God. And this invitation, this command, these imperatives, serve the Lord, serve the Lord, belong to him, do his will, serve him the way a slave serves a master, serve him the way a soldier serves his commanding officer, serve Yahweh. But, but notice he says, serve the Lord with what? With gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord out of joy. Serve the Lord out of gratitude. Not serve the Lord out of guilt. Not, not serve the Lord out of terror. Serve the Lord out of gladness. Out of joy. That's, that's how we are invited to belong to him and to do his will and to obey him. In fact, that's what this psalm is all about. This invitation to the whole world, this looking forward to the day the Messiah reigns. That's now, church, isn't it? This day when the whole earth, you and me, in spite of the fact that most of us are Gentiles, We've come into the family of God and coming into the family of God means these are our imperatives. To do what? To make a joyful noise to the Lord. To serve him with gladness. Not this like, you know, kicking your foot and saying, oh, oh, it's like it's just drudgery. Serve him, yes, but not out of guilt or this effort to try to be good enough to earn God's favor, but serve him out of joy and gladness and to come into his presence with singing. Look at verse three, another imperative. Verse three, know that the Lord, and here the Lord is Yahweh, know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So 
again, this imperative, this invitation, this command is to do what? Is to know that Yahweh is God. Know that Yahweh is God. What are we supposed to do? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to serve him with gladness. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to come into his presence with singing. And what are we supposed to do? Know that Yahweh is God. It's like we said last week that good thanksgiving and good theology go hand in hand. You can't really thank God unless you know God. That when we really truly thank God, it's not just a matter of, as we say, counting your blessings. That's good, right? I love to count my blessings and we should count our blessings. But our counting our blessings should go beyond that. This week, it, it would be really easy to just focus on the stuff that we have, the stuff we have to look at and the stuff we have to eat. And as good as those things are, we have to go beyond those things. Where we're not just counting our blessings, but we're contemplating our blesser, right? We go beyond counting blessings to contemplating the one who has blessed us. To know who he is. Real thanksgiving is anchored in who God is. Who is he? He is the God. The one who, what does the text say? He made us. Now, when we think about God making us, we think about our fingers and our toes and our eyes. That's, that's a good making. And God did make us in that sense. But in this context, in what sense did he make us? It's not just that he made me. It's not just that he made you. He is our creator, but he is the one who made us. He made us us, right? He made us a people. And again, as they sang this song originally in the first context, they're singing, you know, Israelites, Jewish people. But it's looking forward to the day when the Messiah would reign over every ethnic group, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, when he would gather all of the peoples together. And we celebrate the fact that God, Yahweh, has made us who we are, that he has made us into a people. He has made us into his people, the sheep of his pasture. So as we reflect on our thanksgiving, this is something we should reflect on. That our God, Yahweh, has made us into us. He has made me not just as an individual, made you not just as an individual, but he's added you to a community. He's added you to a family. He's not just added you to a family or a community or a group of people, but he's added you to his people, his group, his family. And said, you know the word I like to use, right? Y'all, y'all, all y'all, all, you're, you're my people. You're the sheep of my pasture. And so as we reflect on our thanksgiving, let's reflect on that, that he is the one who made us us. He is the one who made us his people. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. 
Do you see all of these imperatives? All these things that we are told to do, commanded to do, invited to do, make a joyful noise to the Lord, come into his presence with singing, enter into, come into his gates and his presence, serve him with gladness. We're told to do all of these things, to enter, to give thanks, to, listen to this phrase, bless his name. And we might think, well, what is God's name? God's name is Yahweh, right? But it's not just his name, it's his name. It's his reputation. It's who he is. It's his fame. It's his legacy. It's what we pray when we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name. May your name be treated as holy. And we are commanded to bless his name, bless his reputation, bless his fame, bless his honor. So all through this psalm, it's given us these commands, these imperatives, these things to do, to make a joyful noise, to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing, to know that he is God, to enter into his gates and his courts, to give thanks to him and to bless his name. But the question is, why? Why? Why should we be such a thankful people? Why should we be such a glad people? Why should we be such a joyful people? What is the, the motivation behind these invitations, behind these commandments, behind these imperatives? Look at verse 5. Verse 5 starts with the word for. For. Because, because this is why, this is why you do all of these things. This is why you make a joyful noise to the Lord. This is why you come before him with singing. This is why you serve him with gladness. This is why you enter. This is why you bless. This is why you give thanks. Why? Because the Lord is good. The Lord is good. That's something my family says every night. We, we get together and together as a family, we confess that God is good. That's why, church. That's why. That's why we give thanks. That's why we bless his name. That's why we serve him with gladness. That's why we enter into his presence with singing. That's why we come into his gates and into his courts with praises and thanksgiving and gladness. That's why we serve not begrudgingly, ah, ah, I have to do this and I have to do that and God wants me to do this and God wants me to do that. We serve with gladness. Why? Because he is what? Good. God is good. And, and he even goes on to tell us, the psalmist says why he's good. In what way is he good? He says his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, the Hebrew word here, we've talked about it multiple times for his steadfast love is chesed. My wife loves it when I say that, chesed. You kind of got to clear your throat when you say it, chesed. And there really is no English word that really translates. That's why in the English Standard Version, it says steadfast love. Some may say something else. There's all different ways Translators have tried to translate this word because it's unique and there, there really is no perfect word in English that describes exactly what God's chesed is all about. 
What is his Hesed love? What is that? One of the best descriptions that I've heard is when, when a spouse, maybe, maybe a, a husband has a wife who is in a car accident and is paralyzed and he continues to, to serve her. Or maybe a wife has a husband who has a stroke or is battling cancer. You know these situations, maybe in your own family, maybe you've dealt with these types of situations in your life where a spouse will continue to love and minister to and take care of, maybe even feeding every meal, maybe bathing their spouse, maybe doing all kinds of acts of service and kindness and mercy for years and years and years, maybe even for decades to continue to love them and take care of them, maybe when the other person can't even respond or can't even do anything in return, the spouse continues to love them and take care of them and to cherish them and nourish them. And the question is, why? On what basis? Is it, is it obligation? Is it because they made a vow and said, I promise to love you and cherish you and honor you in sickness and in health for richer or for poorer, for better or worse? Is it obligation or is it love? Is it affection? Which is it? Is it love or is it obligation? And the answer is yes, right? It's obligated love. It's faithful love. It's what motivated them in the first place to obligate themselves to the other person. And they did that out of their own free will. All of us who are married, we, we chose freely because we love the other person to obligate ourselves to them. To say, I swear to you, I promise to you, I obligate myself to you, to love you, to cherish you, to nourish you, to take care of you, to provide for you, to help you for better or worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, I'm, I'm with you. Is it obligation or is it love? And the answer is yes. English doesn't really have a word for that sort of obligated love, loyal love, faithful love, but Hebrew does, chesed. And this is what God has for his people. He freely chose by his own free will to say, you're mine. You're mine, and I will love you and cherish you and bless you and help you and walk with you. God did that for his people. For Israel, he made a covenant with Israel and said, you are the sheep of my pasture. You're my people. I haven't just made you into a people. I haven't just made you into a family. I haven't made you into a community. I've made you into my community, my people, my sheep. You belong to me and I will show you my chesed forever. I will show you my steadfast love forever. And then through Jesus, that covenant has been extended to all the earth, to all the people, to whoever would put their faith in King Jesus, that you can experience the chesed, faithful, steadfast, loyal love of God through Jesus. So why? Why do we do all of these things that this psalm commands us to do? Why do we make a joyful noise? Why do we come into his presence with singing? Why do we serve him with gladness? 
Why do we bless his name? Why do we give thanks? Because he is good. Because his chesed, his steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. It's interesting that both in Hebrew and in Greek, the word for faithful and the word for faith are the same. Those, those ideas are synonymous, faith and faithful. But, but in our minds, we, we tend to differentiate those things, right? We say, well, faith is like believing in something. Faith is believing in someone or believing in something. But faithful means you're loyal and you're trustworthy and you're true. Well, in both Hebrew and Greek, they're the same. And even in English, the two words are obviously related, faithful and faith. What does it mean to have faith? It means to be loyal, to be trustworthy, to be true, to obligate yourself to someone else and to keep your obligation, to do what you're supposed to do. And our motivation for all of the things we are told to do is that God has done them first. He begins his chesed, his steadfast love, his faithfulness are what prompt ours, right? God begins by showing us his steadfast love and his faithfulness. In fact, in Jesus, you could say that Jesus is the embodiment of chesed. Jesus is the embodiment of loyal, steadfast love. You want to know what chesed is? You want to know what steadfast love is? Jesus. He is the embodiment of God's steadfast love. A God who would allow his people not just to mock him and to slap him and to spit on him, but to nail him to a cross and not just to allow it, but to choose to do it in order to save them. That's the chesed love of God. That's the steadfast love and faithfulness of our God. And God shows us his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And then that should prompt our response. Our response of doing what? Of showing our steadfast love and faithfulness to God. That we say, God, how could I respond any other way? How could I do anything else? How could I do anything else but to make a joyful noise to the Lord? How could I do anything else but serve him with gladness? How could I do anything else but come into his presence with singing? How could I respond any other way? How could I turn my back on that kind of steadfast love? How could I turn my back on that kind of faithfulness? So we make a joyful noise. We serve him with gladness. We come into his presence with singing. We know that he is God. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and bless his name because the Lord is good. Because his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So here's where I want us to land today. Our whole life should be a grateful response to the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what Christian living is. You want to know Christian living in a nutshell? It's a grateful response to the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. Because otherwise it's disobedience, isn't it? Otherwise it's unfaithfulness, ingratitude. There's nothing worse in scripture. There's nothing worse than ingratitude. 
to have God show us his steadfast love and faithfulness and for us to say, big deal, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to serve you with gladness. That kind of ingratitude will be met with nothing less than punishment. But, but why? How? How could we see the steadfast love and faithfulness of God and respond any other way than gratitude? And not just what we do on Sunday mornings. Christianity is not just what we do on Sunday mornings. Christianity is not just what we do on the first day of the week. It's what we do every day of the week. It's that we take our entire body, Romans chapter 12, and we present it to God as a living sacrifice. And we say, I'm yours. You won me by your love. Through your steadfast love and faithfulness, you've shown me who you are and I trust you. I believe in you. I love you. And so we respond to God, not just with words of praise and thanksgiving, but with actions of gratitude, a grateful response to God for his steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we show our steadfast love and faithfulness to God and to each other. This is why it all goes hand in hand. The way we treat each other, we show each other chesed, steadfast love this is i'm i'm in it with you you're my brother you're my sister i love you and i'm gonna hold on to you kicking and screaming maybe but i'm gonna hold on to you we're gonna get through this together whatever you're going through i'm going through it together with you because we're family we're in this together why would we show that kind of chesed steadfast love to each other because god showed it to us And so as we serve the Lord with gladness, we serve each other with gladness. Our entire life should be a grateful response to the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. So this week and next week and the week after and every week of our lives, let's get out of bed and reflect on who God is because good thanksgiving starts with good theology. And when we reflect on God's steadfast love and faithfulness that is embodied in Jesus, let us respond to him with gratitude. Let us respond to him by serving the Lord with gladness. It starts at baptism, doesn't it? That's what baptism is. Baptism is a wedding ceremony. It's a ceremony that says, God, I could never match your steadfast love and I could never match your faithfulness. But because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, I belong to you and I want to be yours and I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And it begins with baptism. That's what we are committing ourselves to when we die with him and are buried with him in baptism. And that's the life we're reminded of every time we think back to our baptism. Every time we put one foot in front of the other. Every time we take the next step by faith. We're saying, I just want to respond to your steadfast love and faithfulness with my own steadfast love and faithfulness. We begin with baptism, but every day of our life should be a grateful response to the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. And of course, of course, we all fall short of that. But that's the goal. That's what we're trying to do here is to respond gratefully to God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And if we can help you in any way on your journey, whether you're here with us in person or you're watching online, 
reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you, how we can walk through this with you. Let us know how we can pray for you. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ, we're ready to help you. Our elders will be waiting at the information desk as we sing this next song, but don't hesitate to reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you as together we stand and sing this song.